John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, who would I have told you that I'm who would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Um, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me, because I live, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will will come to them and make our home with them. Um, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and I will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave.
Thank you very much. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we just sang in that song, we prayed that you cause your church to hunger for your ways. So we pray that again now as we come to your word, as we come to your ways, we pray that you would give us a hunger to know you and to know what it would mean to live for you and with you. And then please satisfy that hunger through the scriptures this evening. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we uh, have spent a few weeks now in John's Gospel at the 6.30, and um, we've been seeing the difference that Jesus makes to all sorts of different situations and different kinds of people. And um, I think one of my reflections, I hope one of yours, has been that Jesus is amazing. Just situation after situation, he, he walks into people's lives and changes them straight away. So do you remember a few weeks ago, there was the disabled man lying by the pool, and he'd been there for 38 years, and Jesus transforms his life in one conversation. There's a man who'd been blind since he was born, meets Jesus, sees. There's those bits that we have looked at. There's all the bits of John that we've not had chance to look at. So in chapter 11, which we, we didn't look at, Jesus's friend, Lazarus, had been dead for three days, and Jesus came along and said, get up, and so he did. John's gospel has been as though Jesus has come into a, a world that's full of death and wrongness, and it's almost as though he's been spreading an infection of life and joy and just transforming stuff. And we've said, therefore, again and again, come to Jesus, trust Jesus. He's the one who can change things. He's the one you need to put your trust in. Come to him. But there is one quite big problem with that, or, or one fairly obvious problem in some ways, which is that Jesus is not here anymore. What would it mean to come to Jesus now? He, he spent three years in John's Gospel physically walking into people's lives and changing them, but that doesn't happen now in 2023. What are, what are we supposed to do about that? Well, that's what this bit of John is um, about largely. It's the night before Jesus' death, and he's talking his followers through what life is going to be like when he's not around physically anymore, how, how it's going to work in his absence. And if you have a look down to verse 1 of chapter 14, you can see how they feel about that. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Assume their hearts are troubled, which is why that needs saying. And you can, you can see why, can't you? You can see why they'd be feeling slightly perturbed about this. Surely it would be better for Jesus still to be around walking on the earth. Surely Christianity would be going better if that were still happening. If we're invited into a relationship with Jesus, then surely a relationship with Jesus would work better if we could actually see him and actually hear him and touch him. That is how relationships work, isn't it? Presence is better than absence. COVID taught us that, if nothing else. We need FaceTime, and not just in the kind of Apple sense in our relationships. If Christianity is a relationship at its heart, surely it must be worse off for Jesus being absent. And then you think about the situations in which your heart is troubled. I think, wouldn't it be better if Jesus could walk into my A-level exam with me? 
hand on the shoulder, I love you, you can do it, I'm with you. Surely that would be better. Wouldn't it be better if the hospital appointment that you've been dreading, Jesus could walk in there with you? Wouldn't it be better when I'm trying to tell other people about Jesus, if he was just there? Well, you could tell them, Jesus. Surely that would be better. I think what Jesus is saying in this chapter is, actually, it wouldn't. He starts off by saying, uh, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then towards the end of the chapter, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so in between those two instructions, don't let your hearts be troubled, comes the explanation of how that's possible. And that's what we're going to think about for a few minutes. We're going to trace through what Jesus says is going to happen after he dies, after he departs. Uh, and then from that, we're going to see four reasons that Jesus' absence, rather than being a reason to have troubled hearts, is actually a reason to, to stand up and to keep going. So if you look down at verse 2 and 3, you'll see a, a kind of timeline of what is about to happen to Jesus. I'll read from verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So step one of what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to his father. You can remember all the way back to chapter one of John's gospel. That is where Jesus came from. In the first place, he came from the Father. He's the one and only Son. He's in the closest relationship with the Father. All the translations have it in the bosom of the Father. And he's come from there to make God known, and now he's going to go back there. I'm told Newton's third law of motion tells us that what, what is it? What, what goes up? <laughs> what goes up must come down. When it comes to God, what goes down, what comes down must go... Oh gosh, I bungled that, didn't I? <laughs> He's got to go back to the Father, that's the point. The point is, what's about to happen is Jesus is going to die, he's going to be raised from the dead, and then he is going to ascend to heaven, back to his Father where he came from, and that is where he still is. And verse 2 says that while he's back with his Father, i.e. right now, today, he's going to be doing something, verse 2, He's preparing a place for us. That's quite a thought, isn't it? We'll come back to that. So he's going to go back to the Father. Then step two is going to be that the Father sends the Spirit. And in some ways, this is the key to the passage. So have a look at verse 16. I will ask, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And he comes up again in verse 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So once Jesus returns from the Father, the Father is going to send the Spirit. And his particular role here in this chapter seems to be to do with bringing truth. So it's called the Spirit of Truth in verse 16. Verse 26 goes on that he, he's going to remind the disciples of everything that Jesus has been saying. It's described as an advocate, literally somebody who speaks from alongside. So he, he helps us by bringing uh, the truth about Jesus to bear. 
there's more to the Holy Spirit's ministry uh, than that. These few chapters, John 13, 17, have lots to say about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. Um, but that's the emphasis here. He, he brings truth. And that happened very shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and he comes to all Christians still. Jesus is going to go to the Father. The Father's going to send the Spirit. And then sort of step three in the timeline, Jesus is going to return. Verse three again. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So his absence is, is only a temporary thing. It's just for a period. Actually, a few times in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about coming back. And I think at different points, he's got slightly different things in view. So verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I think there he has in view the resurrection uh, when his disciples would see him again, uh, even after his death. Then at the end of verse 23, he says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. And there I think he's talking about when the Spirit comes, as by the Spirit, the Father and Son take up residence uh, in, in our lives, in the lives of Christians. But all of that is kind of framed by what we've already seen in verse 3, that there is going to be a day when Jesus comes back unmistakably for the whole world to see and take his people to be with him. So his absence is not forever. Uh, it's just, just for a period of time. But it is the period of time that we live in. Um, and so we come back to the question, how could it possibly be a good thing for Jesus not to be here with us physically? How could this possibly be a comforting thing rather than a troubling thing? Well, here's the four reasons that I want us to see. Number one, we can love Jesus, sorry, that's number three. We can know Jesus better in his absence. We can know Jesus better in his absence. Really? We, we can know Jesus better when he's not physically here than people could when he was. Jesus' disciples on, on this night, the night before he died, knew loads of stuff about Jesus that we don't know. They knew what he looked like. They knew what sort of stuff makes him laugh. They knew whether he was a morning person or an evening person. They knew what his hand-eye coordination was like. They knew loads of stuff about Jesus that we don't know. But verse 9, Jesus is talking to Philip, one of his disciples, and he implies that Philip doesn't really know him at all. Philip has asked, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You just hear the sadness in Jesus' answer. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after, even after I've been with you such a long time? In fact, the whole vibe of these few chapters, the, the night before Jesus died, is one of confusion um, on the part of Jesus' disciples. The whole thing is a, is a Q&A with Jesus, where they ask him a question, he says something, and they look confused. And uh, if you zoom in on verse 9 again, you can see what it is they're missing. Don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father 
and the Father is in me. So this is what the disciples have failed to see about Jesus. That he isn't just amazing. He isn't just the Messiah, the King from Bethlehem, who's going to save his people. But who he is, is the only Son of God, come from the bosom of the Father to make him known. He is the one through whom all things were made. He is the great God of the Old Testament. I am, he's repeated to us throughout John. They haven't grasped, verse 11, that when they've seen Jesus doing miracles, what they've been looking at is God at work. His character put on display by his only son. It's a little bit like those stories that you hear of somebody meeting royalty and not realizing that that's who they've met. Like, just imagine that you, you get to know King Charles very well somehow. And you learn all sorts of stuff about him. You learn what TV programs he likes to watch and how he likes his tea and whether he likes to do the washing up with a sponge or a brush. Or, you, you know, you, you just learn lots of stuff about him. But imagine if you, you learned that, but you hadn't clocked that he was king. You don't really know him, do you? You don't know the key thing about who he is. And Jesus says in verse 20 that his disciples, in fact, anyone, won't understand who Jesus really is until after his death and resurrection. Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and my Father is in me and I am in you. Because it's only when you see Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, only when you know about those things can you see who he really is. This is part of the Holy Spirit's job, the spirit of truth, helping us to see who Jesus really is as we look at the cross. So what this means is that um, if you are a Christian today, you're someone who knows Jesus as the only son of God. You're someone who, you know, when we said in the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, you really meant it. Then you know Jesus better than his disciples did on the night before he dies. We don't know him fully. One day in the future, we're going to see him face to face, and we'll know him much better then. And we long to be there. We long for that future day. But we don't long to go back in time. Because it's only now that he's died and risen and ascended and sent the Spirit. Only now can we really know him. And we can really know him. We can know Jesus better in his absence. That's the longest point because all the other ones kind of flow from it. But here's the, here's the second thing. We can do greater things than Jesus in his absence. Verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What on earth could he mean by that? I assume he can't mean whoever believes in me will do more spectacular things than I've been doing because I don't know that you can really beat raising somebody from the dead and then being raised yourself. So I don't think he means we'll do more spectacular things. But nor do I think he only means you'll do more stuff once I'm gone because there'll be more of you and there's only one of me because he says greater, not just more. I think what he means is that we now get to point people back 
to the full and complete and perfect work of Jesus on the cross. At this point in the Gospels, Jesus has done uh, all sorts of miracles and, and, and stuff which are designed to show people who he is and who God is. But all of them, they're just like the little tremors before an earthquake. And the earthquakes, the cross and resurrection, they're, they're, they're just pointing forward to something that is still to come. And that's what Jesus was doing in his ministry on earth. He was pointing people forward to something that was going to be shown ultimately in his death on the cross. And what we get to do is point people back to something at the end of which Jesus says, it is finished. We get to point people to something that's complete and done and accomplished. So, um, whereas Jesus in his uh, ministry here on earth was, was giving life here and there, Lazarus, the blind man, the uh, disabled man by the pool, we get to be involved in giving people life for eternity by by pointing them back to the full and ultimate revelation of God at the cross. That's what we're doing as we make our puny little efforts to say something about Jesus to people and to pray for them. We are doing even greater stuff when we do that than the feeding of the 5,000 was, than walking on water was, or raising Lazarus from the dead was. Even greater works than Jesus and it's all, poss- all possible only because, end of verse 12, because Jesus has gone back to his father. Because verse 13 and 14 tell us that Jesus is at work through us as we pray. And if these verses kind of pricked your ears up a little bit as they were being read out to us, they're not a general promise, I don't think, that we'll, we'll get whatever we pray for. But they're a promise that as we try and do these greater works Jesus talks about, Jesus will be there asking the Father to make it possible, to, to work through us just as he worked through Jesus. And so he sends the Holy Spirit in response. So Jesus goes back to the Father, hears our prayers, sends the Spirit so that we can do even greater stuff than he did while he was here on earth. So I don't know if you think that Jesus has done some quite impressive things in John. They are not as great as the thing that you can do tomorrow morning by prayerfully pointing people by the Spirit's help to Jesus' finished work on the cross so that they can see who Jesus is and know life forever. We can do greater things than Jesus in his absence. Thirdly, we can love Jesus better in his absence. Looking here from verse 21 onwards, this next question that Jesus gets asked, we can love Jesus better in his absence. And again, that is not this sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? It's not the way that you would expect things to work. You would think, the more I actually see of Jesus, the the better I will love him. After all, he's perfect. Uh, He's not somebody that you need a little bit of space from when you get a bit you know, fed up of his annoying habits. He's not like that. He's perfect. But verse 23, Jesus says that the person who loves him is the one who obeys his teaching. In fact, verse 24 says that the reason why we wouldn't obey Jesus's words is that to that extent, we, we don't love him. And this is why it's a massive deal 
that Jesus has returned to the Father and the Holy Spirit has come. Verse 25, Jesus, he's been teaching his disciples, but we've already seen they won't get it properly until after, his, after the cross and the resurrection. But once that's happened, the Holy Spirit comes to do what, according to uh, verse 26? The Holy Spirit comes to teach them all things and remind them of what Jesus has said. In other words, the Holy Spirit's come and helped the disciples at long last to grasp the truth about Jesus and about his teaching. And uh, he's caused them to write it down for us in the New Testament. Which means that now, as we've already said, we can see Jesus more clearly and love him. And we can express that love in obedience to him even more than if he'd never gone away. Because the Holy Spirit has come to to make sense of these things for us, to, to remind us and to press Jesus' teaching onto our hearts. That is what happens if God comes and makes his home in you. See that in verse 23? Because Jesus has moved out of this world physically, he can move into your life spiritually. It's what we've been seeing in John, isn't it? When Jesus first moved into this world, it's as though he kind of rearranged all the furniture and redecorated everything around him when he moved into the world. Spreading life, driving out evil, opening eyes. And now he comes to do the same sort of stuff in your life as an individual. He's made his home in your heart and he is rearranging all the furniture, repainting all the walls, sorting everything out. Gradually, gradually changing what we love and how we live so that we love him more and so that we keep his commands. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus, in his absence, he's really just changed the dress so that he doesn't just live in northern Judea anymore, but by the Spirit, he lives in the lives of everybody who trusts him. And so we can love him. Fourthly, Finally, reason not to let our hearts be troubled, Jesus won't be absent forever. He won't be absent forever. Now, one of the things we've been seeing, I think, as we've looked through John 14, is that right now, Jesus is actually far less absent from our world than he seems. Present by the Spirit in the lives of his people, active in the world in response to our prayers, doing even greater things than before. But as we've seen, he starts and ends this passage with the promise that one day he is coming back. Verse 3, I will come back to take you to be with me. Verse 28, I am going away and I am coming back to you. We will see him again. How do we get to you? Uh, Thomas asked right at the start of the passage in verse 5. How do we get to you? Which, Which way do we go, Jesus? I am the way, he says. No other way. But trust me, follow me, and I'll bring you to myself and to my Father. They're great verses, those first few in the passage, aren't they? Um, Often read at funerals, and they contain the most wonderful promise in the face of death, don't they? I am preparing a place for you. My Father's house are many rooms. Remember when a very close family member uh, was about to die, Uh, trusting in Christ, and the Lord brought this promise to our minds. His room is almost ready. 
But it's also a wonderful comfort when Jesus is absent and we are full of fear. His absence is not just the way that things are going to be from now on. It's the way that things are for a little while before we see him again. I'll come back. It's a great hope. In the meantime, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let Jesus' absence be a reason to look back or to take your foot off the gas in your life as a Christian. You can know him better than Philip and Peter and all the rest of them could on that night. You can do amazing things in his service, greater things than what he was doing when he was here the first time. You can love him and relate to him and you will see him. So don't look back wishing you could be in the upper room, but look forward to when you're going to be in his father's house with him. And until then, stand up, keep going. Let's use this brief window of time that we've got between Jesus' first and his second coming to follow him as the way, to, to listen to him and obey him as the truth, and to live with him as the life. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter, and um, maybe you found bits of it bewildering. Um, If that is you, then just land with me on some of the promises that Jesus makes here and, uh, and take them to heart with me. Here's some promises. I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. He will give you the spirit to be with you forever. He will teach you and remind you of everything I've said. We will come to you and make our home with you. Why don't I pray? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Father, you know that lots of things make that feel like a difficult instruction to follow. Not least the fact that we can't see your son, but we pray that you would write these things on our hearts so that we would know him and serve him and love him and look forward to seeing him again. Thank you that we are in a short window of time here with opportunities to serve you like no other. So please help us this week to take them and enjoy them. In Jesus' name, amen.